This episode is brought to you by the Denver Public Library. This season is all about women writers who are working to create community impact. We think elevating the work of these writers is so important that we've partnered with one of our favorite community resources, our local library system, Denver Public Library to be exact. And whether you're in Denver or someplace else, the library wants you to know that they're still here providing vital community resources. The Denver Public Library works to foster a culture of exploration, innovation, and forward thinking, and is focused on creating a strong community where everyone thrives. Head over to denverlibrary.org to access the latest virtual events and resources and find some of the great books by many of the talented authors we've had the pleasure of featuring this season. Hey, it's Tangi Renee. Before we get to the show, I'm popping in to quickly ask for a huge favor. If you're a fan of this show, we could really use your support. We have a big goal of growing our listenership this season, and we could only do it with your help please take a few seconds to subscribe to this podcast. Look at your phone right now and hit subscribe. Next, if you're listening on an app like Apple Podcasts that allows you to leave a review, please give us a five-star review. Reviews actually go a really long way in helping our show get discovered by new listeners. And if you want to go the extra mile, leave us a written review in addition to the five stars. That helps even more. This show has grown because of the incredible support of our listeners, and we have an ambitious goal of getting to our next 10,000 downloads this season. We can't reach our goal without your help, so please subscribe rate this podcast, and don't forget to keep sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. Just hit share from wherever you're listening. That's it. Easy peasy. Thanks in advance for all your support. Smooches! Welcome back, Inspiration Junkies. It's me, your host, Tangi Renee, and this is That's What She Did Podcast. This is also season six, and it's episode nine. That means after today, we only have one episode left of the season. I'm so sad to see our season coming to a close, but I'm so proud of what we've done here, and I also hope you love it as much as I have. Super excited to introduce you to our next guest, Robin Farmer. She's a national award-winning journalist in the 2019 She Writes Press and Spark Press Towards Equity in Publishing contest winner. Her fiction projects include screenplays and poetry and focus on girls advocating for social justice. Today, I am thrilled to be able to introduce you to her novel, Malcolm and Me. I love this book for so many reasons. It's humorous, it's timely, even though it's historical fiction. But I also love this book because it beautifully captures the confusion, pain, and joy of a young teen becoming conscious of her racial identity and injustice. Let's get started. Welcome everyone to another episode of That's What She Did podcast. I am so, so excited to introduce you to today's author, Robin Farmer, and her book, Malcolm and Me. And I think of the whole season, this was the book where the main character I identified with the most. (laughs) The main character is this 13-year-old girl. So when I started reading it, I didn't think that would resonate for me at all, but it definitely did. And I was really surprised and I found that Roberta is all of us. She would be my BFF if she were alive and a person in my age today. But I am, again, so excited to have you on the show, Robin. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. 
Definitely my pleasure. Thank you again to you and your publisher for getting the book into my hands. I'm excited to share it with the audience. And audience, as you know, you have a chance to win this book. The very book that I read that was gifted to us, we're gifting it to you. So make sure you go to that's what she did podcast.com right now to enter for your chance to win. Welcome again, Robin. Thank you. I want to start us off by, before we talk about Malcolm and Me, which I am excited to talk about because it's such a good book and I just love, I love the main character, Roberta, so much. Even though she's a child, (laughs) I just loved her so much. I would love for you to share with our audience how you came into this world of writing. I must have been around eight years old when I told my mother I was going to grow up to be a writer. And I wasn't real, real sure what it meant, but I love books. My mother taught me how to read when I was four, right? Time I was eight, I had read a lot of books and I thought, you know, this is pretty cool. And I remember saying, mommy, if I like my job and it feels like a hobby, it's like getting paid for your hobby. She said, that's right. So I sort of made that connection at a young age and I feel so blessed that I grew up to champion my childhood dream. Not many of us do, right? I mean, I figured out a long time ago what I wanted to do. So that's a blessing. Yeah, it definitely is. I think I was not that lucky. I didn't know what I want. I feel like I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. So I appreciate that at that age, you were just like, I know what it is. Here we go. Let's do it. I know that you have been a journalist, you've been a writer for a long time. Before we really get into the nitty and gritty of your latest work, Malcolm and Me, I'd love to know about storytelling is so interesting to me. And what is it about storytelling for you as a writer or as a journalist that you just had to do this? So for me, and I'm always talking about this, I love stories that are full of emotional truth. And it's hard to define what emotional truth is, but you know it when you feel it, right? Your heart doesn't lie. And so as a reporter, you don't have a lot of emotional truth in your stories because you're looking for facts, right? You're looking for black and white. You're not looking for the grays. So I was an education reporter for a long time because I do like young people. And so I would find the stories about young people defying the odds because people who defy the odds, there's a lot of emotional truth in what they're doing, right? Even though I was a journalist, I was doing the kind of writing that I wanted to do. And then for three years, I was on the special projects team, the investigative team. And that's when you get weeks and months to work on a story. And so I was always doing stories that really looked for the emotional truth in situations. For example, I did a special project on gifted Black teens who attend some of the toughest schools in the country where being smart carries a stigma, where Mm -hmm. making the honor roll might get you beat up. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to look at their coping skills, right? How do you thrive in this environment? So I was always looking for things that would allow me to apply narrative techniques to, even though I was a journalist. So is that where your interest in young adults came from? Because Malcolm and Me is the story of a, she's barely a teenager. (laughs) That's interesting. So I've been doing this sort of thing for a long time and I didn't know I was doing it. I had a friend come over to help me put together my desk and she looked at the awards that were in my office and she said, Robin, almost every major journalism award you've won has something to do with young people. I didn't even realize I, you know what I mean? Sure. I didn't realize I was doing that, but 
I also write poetry and screenplays and short stories, and they're all about young women, young girls, 12, 13, 14. I just find that age range so interesting because I remember it so well, right? Mm-hmm. They have one foot still in childhood, one leg, you know, trying to make it to independence. It's a wonderful, wonderful, messy, complicated time. And I, I just love those stories. Messy, I think, is a good way to describe it. And it's for me reading Malcolm. I think I identified so much with the main character, Roberta, because that's a time in my life that I haven't thought about in a long time. I mean, you know, I'm in my late 30s now. And as I was reading, I was like, oh, God, I remember this feeling. I remember being this age and just being like pissed off and confused. <laughs> And all of the emotions that you're feeling for the first time and all of the realizations you're having about the world and the people around you for the first time. And it's growing up is hard. And I think, and I'm hoping that there's universal appeal to Roberta because no matter how old you are, you've been 13 before, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping that resonates with folks. But I think the other reason why I'm just fascinated with this age group, at least in my case, The things that happened to me during that time period really shaped my life. Mm. I don't know how often that is for everyone else. So I think that's probably why I always go back to it also. Sure. And, you know, I think this is a time period for Roberta that really shaped her life. So in Malcolm and Me, it's, I guess it's, you would classify it as historical fiction, correct? I'm so old. It's historical fiction. Oh my God. Well, I didn't think after I read it is when I went and I looked at some of the reviews just for research purposes and that kind of thing. And and it was classified as historical fiction. I was like, huh? Yeah. Historical fiction, I guess. Yeah, (laughs) historical fiction. I guess, yeah, that that makes sense. (laughs) So I was like, okay, it's historical fiction. So it's really a, a coming of age story about a young Black girl in Catholic school, which is an interesting life, I think. It is, because you're a minority within a minority. Right. And it's in the backdrop of the 1970s. So like, so the post-civil rights era, all of the craziness that was the 70s. And it's her coming of age and learning to be an adult and realizing her world. Am I describing that accurately? Beautifully. Okay. (laughs) You know, I thought, so I get that this is a coming of age story, but there was so much more at play than the uniqueness of one 13-year-old sort of figuring out who she is and life kind of a thing. You have the backdrop of the civil rights, post-civil rights movement happening. So there's still a lot of like protest and upheaval happening. Watergate is during this time. You have the self-discovery journey she's going on. You have the questioning of faith and religion happening. You have what it means to use your own voice as a, as a young Black woman. Colorism. Colorism, racism, <laughs> like blatant racism and colorism, right? Which are two sides of the same coin. But then there was this also, I thought, this more nuanced theme of the moment when you realize that your parents aren't the perfect superheroes that you thought they were. And she comes to this realization and it's really hard for her. On top of that, their marriage is like disintegrating before her. And then there's the other nuance of it, her relationship with her father, which is extremely difficult. And so I think for all of these reasons, it resonated for me so much, even though if she were real, she would be older than me. You know, she would almost be my mom's age. 
And I was like, yeah, I went through all of that. (laughs) All of that. (laughs) So I do think it's a universal story. (laughs) I do think. And that's what makes it so beautiful. So as you were crafting this character, how did you come to do that? What's that process like? Finding out who this person is, but then also the nuance of everything she's going through behind that. People say, Robin, what's Malcolm and me about? I think they expect me to give this pithy answer, just one thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I will, and I'll say about a young girl's search for that elusive thing called truth at a time when the most important adults in her life have trouble telling it. And I carried the theme through by setting it in 1973-74 when Watergate's going on and even the president's lying, right? Mm -hmm. So it's about adult hypocrisy. But adult hypocrisy is so big. And everywhere, right? It's everywhere. It's in everything. And so it really started with that, that idea, adult hypocrisy, which is huge. But then the other idea was, and I remember the first time I realized that parents aren't perfect. They're flawed. Mm -hmm. But you can be flawed and do good things too at the same time, right? That's a hard concept for young kids to grapple with, I think. And so I knew I wanted to explore that. And I also wanted to fold it in into what happened in the opening chapter, which really happened to me. That's a true story, the Thomas Jefferson story. The first chapter is true. Oh, wow. (laughs) Well, that was my favorite part. I was 11, not 13. It's great when that happened to me. And it changed my life. It changed my life. And it's not a coincidence that I grew up to be a journalist, Mm -hmm. to try to dig out the truth to try to scrutinize powerful people and institutions, to try to amplify the voice of marginalized people, it can all be traced back to what happened in that classroom. Mm. That's why when I say what happened to me in that age range shaped my life, I'm not joking. (laughs) No, like it didn't occur to me that that, the opening sequence is pretty explosive. It sets the tone for everything that happens throughout the rest of the story. I want to try to bring our listening audience into it without giving away too much because I want them to read the story. So the opening sequence is this catalyst moment where Roberta, one of only two Black girls in this Catholic classroom, (laughs) challenges the teacher by saying something about Thomas Jefferson. There was a lesson on Thomas Jefferson and she challenges the nun, the teacher, by saying something that I thought was just authentic to her. She wasn't deliberately being obstinate. She was just commenting. She was not trying to be a smart behind. She wasn't trying to be a show pony. She thought that was the answer. Right. And that for me was, this happens probably, what, the first two or three pages of the book. And that's when I was like, I am Roberta. <laughs> I've had moments like this from being a you know young girl to now. I still find myself in situations where I'm just going from the gut, being authentic, and I say what I say, and there's this immediate backlash. And you're like, well, wait, <laughs> I thought I was just answering the question that you asked me right there. Was that not okay? And it's still confusing, I think, as an adult. Hey there, my fellow inspiration junkies. Do you miss browsing shelves for books, movies, and music? Denver Public Library is still here for you, offering these great resources both online and curbside. 
tell Denver Public Library what you like to read or what you're craving, and they'll send you a whole entire personalized reading list with five to eight customized recommendations just for you. You can even place holds of up to 10 items that you can pick up curbside at most locations. How's that for convenience? Need a library card? No worries. Register for an e-card today and immediately access hundreds of e-media resources like e-books, audiobooks, music, movies, and so much more. And yes, it's all still free. I'm not ashamed to admit that I am totally a library junkie. Now you can call me a nerd if you want to, honey. I'll take it. Denver Public Library branches will be reopening soon, so make sure you check out denverlibrary.org for the latest info, and don't forget to follow Denver Public Library on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Smooches! Listener perks alert! I'm excited to tell you about Libro FM. It lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Choose from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you get the same audiobooks at the same prices as the largest audiobook company out there. You know who I'm talking about. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. For every purchase you make on Libro FM, a local bookstore of your choosing it's half the profits. It's a super simple way to shop local right from your own phone. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. Listen while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. If you already love audiobooks and you don't know what to listen to next, check out the recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, local booksellers. Listeners of That's What She Did podcast can get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Who doesn't love a BOGO? I know I do. Go to Libro FM, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code SHEDID. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. Now, how's that for a listener perk? And so this is my love letter to every black and brown girl who was criticized for being too loud, too smart, and too strong, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It resonated for me so much. I mean, this season I've read every book of every author that's been on here, and I find something amazing inspirational about all of their writing that's why we have them on the show but this character was the one that I identified with most of all because I was constantly being shut down from a young age probably around 13 you know being told you can't say that and I would never understood why even now I still don't understand why <laughs> I was like why because you're not supposed to be that smart that strong and that loud True. So I thought that the that scene, it resonates even more now that I know that this part is true. This actually happened. But it's the story of so many women, I think, especially if you're a woman of color who has an opinion and isn't gonna go around filtering yourself all the time. It's a decision that we have to make, right? And it was, I think that was what was so poignant about that particular story is that she didn't know she was making a decision about who she was going to be in that moment. She was just being herself in the way that 13-year-olds 
are trying to be because you don't you're not I guess jaded yet you haven't been hopefully you haven't been slapped down enough times to internalize it and she just said it and the response was so out of whack and so swift and so mean and then when you're beat down you have to find your voice again Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. I loved it it's such a good story so I don't want to give any more away to our audience but it's a good teaser I think that why you should read this book that scene just sets the whole tone for everything that happens after that so I'm curious to know what's it as someone who is not a writer what is it like to craft the personality of someone who's maybe a little bit like you, someone is maybe inspired by your own experiences, but is wholly their own person. The character of Roberta is fully formed, even though she's essentially a child. And you don't always see that, especially in other forms of storytelling, like riot movies or whatever. But she comes across to me as very fully formed. And we're watching her evolution happen as these events happen to her. And so I'm always curious to know, what is it like? How do you do that? What's that process of crafting this fictional character that feels very real? So part of what helps me, I write screenplays. And when you write screenplays, there's certain things you have to do that you don't do in a novel. For example, in a movie, character is what character does, not necessarily what they think. So this story started off as a screenplay. So I had a long time to flesh out the characters and look at the narrative arc, right? The opening image. What's this person look like here by the end of the book? What do they look like and how do they get to that, right? So a little bit of screenplay knowledge really helped me shape this. But a character to be fully formed needs to sometimes be interviewed during the writing process. Roberta, how are you feeling today? right? You have to like talk to them and really get to see them. And, and you have to listen. Even though I created the story, some of my characters did things that I didn't anticipate. And I said, well, let's go with that, right? So it's really trying to birth someone that is real for the moment, right? Mm-hmm. And getting to know them and getting to honor some of the stuff they want to do. Interesting. It is, okay, interesting. It, it never occurred to me that you would almost interview the character that you're creating. That's You can also, some people do character sketches. It's kind of like a resume. You know, you could even say, what's your favorite color? Who's your best friend? What are your secrets? What are your fears, right? Because if you know the answer to all of that, then you can form a believable person on the page. Right. If you know the backstory, You may not even use all that information, Mm -hmm. but if you know it, it informs your work. Yeah. So I I knew what kind of candy Roberta liked. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) So she, you know, she's a fully formed person in your head. And so you can write her in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. So one thing that was ever present in Malcolm and Me is, so there's all of the political, social stuff happening in her world. This is, you know, 1970s era America. And she's learning about her history and the real history of the United States, right? Which is the the catalyst moment in the beginning where she's like, well, that's not, that's not true. <laughs> right? And grappling with that. And so it's almost like the era of the 70s is its own character. It's 
very much a part of the tapestry of everything that's happening. It's not something that's mentioned offhand. It's there ever present. And what stood out to me is it feels like today. All of the same stuff. It's like <laughs> same shit, different day. <laughs> that's why the book was moved up seven months early. It was supposed to come out in June 2021, but then the pandemic happened and the world exploded. And it makes sense because you're absolutely right. The echoes of the 70s are right here, right? You have this little kid saying, Jefferson's a hypocrite, right? And that's a dis dismantling of American mythology. Mm -hmm. Today, you have young people not only saying it, but they're tearing down the monuments to it. Right. When Roberta was coming up a few years earlier, Shirley Chisholm ran for president. Didn't matter that she wouldn't win. She helped Roberta stand a little straighter. Today, we have Kamala Harris and inspiring black and brown girls all across the globe, right? Yep. Back then, you had the Black Power Movement. Today, you have Black Lives Matter. Right. Back then, you had Watergate and the corruption in the Oval Office. Today, we got this fool. Yep. So it's all the echoes because history repeats itself if you're not careful. And we haven't been careful. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in this situation. All right. That was just really amazing to me. Did you intend it to so closely parallel today? Well, I think part of the reason why the story is timely is because it's timeless. Mm. Because when have we not grappled with race relations or political corruption or dysfunctional families or faith wrangling. Mm -hmm. And I, so yeah, it just so happens that we have all this going on now, but even if it came out next summer, you still have that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, really unfortunately. There was one other nuanced aspect of the character that I thought was important to mention and it's the piece about her hair. So Roberta rocks an afro, a quickly growing afro. <laughs> and this seems to inflame her teachers. <laughs> they just can't handle it. And I thought that that was such great imagery because here we are in a world where we're still talking about hair, where we actually have to pass laws state by state to make it possible for Black women and Black men to wear their hair in a natural way and not be discriminated against because of it. And so it was a very, I thought, like a bold move almost to show that this is where it started and this is where we are, which is like the latest meme going around. It hasn't changed. It's something as simple as hair. Something as simple as hair. Crazy to me. Crazy. So what really happened, there's a scene where her friend comes to school with Afro pups. Mm -hmm. And sister doesn't like that. That's true, too. That really happened. Really? It's amazing to me. I mean, there's all these little moments of microaggressions. And there's a lot of moments of blatant, cold, harsh racism. But the thing about that that stood out to me is that, to me, it's not a story of racism, quote unquote racism. That's there. It's its own entity. It's its own living, breathing entity throughout the story. But what it really made me think about is those moments when you're growing up and you're confronted with racism outside of the protection of your family by yourself and you have to deal with it in the moment. 
And that's what she's struggling. One of the main things she's struggling with the whole time is she's at school, she's on the street, she's minding her own business and being confronted with racism for the first time without being with a parent or somebody that can shield her from that and the harsh reality. I remember those moments growing up and being like, what what was that? And you have to think on your feet, right? Mm -hmm. You have to figure out how to react. Do I doll myself back? Do I go full nuts? It's a delicate balancing act that unfortunately too many of us have to learn how to do at a young age. Yeah, I remember. (laughs) And it's still a shock to me when it happens. It's, I almost feel like there's nothing that you can really do to prepare a child for that. You can talk to them about it and we'll abstractly understand that it happens. We can see it on television. You can see it in movies. You can see it on the news or whatever. You can read about it. But until it actually happens to you, it still feels, at least it did for me, it still felt blindsiding. And when it happens, at least the first time, it's hard to forget. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll never forget the first time I was confronted with blatant racism by an authority figure. It scared the hell out of me. And I'll never forget that moment. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. So I appreciated the nuance of it. There was a lot going on in between the lines that stood out. What was your favorite aspect of the book? I like Roberta realizing that you still have to tell truth no matter the consequence. But I think what's real important for me about the book is to embrace the idea of forgiveness, right? Mm -hmm. Especially when adults hurt you deeply. And it's not like I was never told that, but I don't think I quite got the message when I was younger. And I would, if you did something to me, I would dislike you for decades. (laughs) And I might love you, all right? I'm not saying that what happened with sister is the reason for that, but I think it played a role. Because in real life, she never apologized. She never apologized for what she said or did to me. And so in the book, I hope readers, especially younger readers, walk away knowing it's okay to forgive people because it helps you heal. It helps you move on. Doesn't mean you have to be best friends with them. It helps you move on. And I don't think I really fully got that message when I was young. And so when I was thinking about the story, I started seriously thinking about the novel when I was 39, about to turn 40 when all those cosmic questions come up. Who am I? What am I supposed to do with my life? And I started thinking about what is the message, right, that you really want readers to have? And that's really one of them. God knows we need more empathy in this world. Mm -hmm. Look how divided we are in this country, right? Sure. And reading, we know reading promotes empathy. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that comes across. I think it does. But who would you say the book is for? Did you write for someone specifically? So I wrote it for the kid that I was Mm. way back then. So I wrote it for a young audience, right? 12, 13, 14. Because I think, you know, you say young adult, but I think young adults have been corrupted because so many adults read it so the themes are different and they're everyone's 16 or 17. What about the people that are 12, 13, or 14? That was the audience for original young adults back in the day. I feel like they don't get their due. But anyway, I wrote it for them, but I also wrote it for every woman who was 13. I really did. Yeah, it came through. I think it came through beautifully because like I said, I got the book and I was like, okay, 
this looks like a good book. I'm excited to read it. But young adult, I, this is not something I normally would pick up on my own to read. So I was like, you know, maybe I can recommend this to one of my cousins or something. But from the first chapter, I was like, no, this is me. This is me. I went through what Roberta went through. I'm glad you could see yourself in her. <laughs> I loved it. What would you say is the impact you want this book to have? I hope it generates intergenerational discussion. Hmm. I hope young teens talk to their parents and their grandparents about some of the issues that are in the book, right? Because, okay, so I'm almost 60, right? Mm -hmm. I lived it. So my younger niece can talk to me about what it was like back then and why is it still like this now? I just think it's fodder for some great discussion. It feels like it needs a companion study guide for like a classroom or like a mom and a daughter or something. I'm gonna put it on my website, I'm gonna write one. <laughs> really, it needs it, I was like, this is good. There's so much to dig into around these themes. I think it's good for mother-daughter conversation. Mm -hmm. This kid thinks daddy's everything, and then she thinks Malcolm is everything. And guess what? What you're looking for is in your own backyard. It's your mama. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a beautiful, I think, conversation. It's a beautiful coming-of-age story. So many of the points resonated deeply. It was unexpected for me, if I didn't say that. I love it, I love it. <laughs> it was unexpected. I mean, the other thing that really stood out to me, and this is probably because of personal experience, was her relationship with her father and how she's really struggling with that. And I think there's something deeper to be said there because we're talking about a, a young Black girl and the narrative is always that, well, Black fathers are never around or if you're a brown or Black child, your dad isn't there for you. And I felt that you really tried to show the nuance of the relationship. It's never just as simple as this guy walked away. There's more so, to that. So the thing is, you know, yeah, Thomas Jefferson did great things, but he was flawed. Mm -hmm. So was her father. Yeah. Yeah, so was daddy. And she had to, you know, make that connection. Yeah, and young also. I, it took me a long time to make that connection. Out at 13, it was many, many years later. So. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I loved it, though. Why this story in particular? I couldn't let this story go. It would not quit me. Okay, so I started off with the screenplay, right? I'll make this real quick. So I wrote it around the time. Do you remember this movie called Aquila and the Bee with Kiki Palmer? Yeah, I do. I love that movie. And I thought, oh, Kiki Palmer is Roberta. So I wrote the screenplay mm -hmm. and I found out who her agent was and I sent a cold email at two o'clock in the morning because I figured when she came in the next day, my email would be on the top of the pile, right? Well, lo and behold, 20 minutes later, she sends me an email. Have your agent send the script. I don't have an agent. <laughs> have your lawyer send the script. I don't have a lawyer. So they made me sign my life away so that they could read it because you have to sign all those forms. Mm -hmm. So in the meantime, she's like, do you have a director attached? Do you have finances? I'm like, lady. <laughs> I just wrote this. What do you want from me? <laughs> it took six months for them to tell me it wasn't right for Kiki. And I learned a lesson. It was like my first screenplay. I didn't have anything else to pitch, right? So that was a lesson there. So if you pitch someone, you better have something else to do. So at that point, I said, you know what? I'll turn it into a novel. Well, I put the pro in procrastination. <laughs> 
<laughs> Years went by, right? I'm still working on this novel. And then in 2010, this book came out called The Girl Who Fell From the Sky by Heidi Durrell. And I read it, and I am not exaggerating when I tell you this. I took my manuscript and threw it in the trash because I said, I got to dig deeper. Her story is so original and so beautiful and so emotionally true. Facebook was new at that time, so I found her on Facebook and I said, hi Heidi, I just want you to know that your book meant so much to me and it's gonna make me dig deeper, right? Well, she friended me, which you would have thought she was Michael Jackson or somebody, right? <laughs> I didn't expect it, I was just telling her thank you. So fast forward to 2014, because we're Facebook friends, I see that she's going to teach a five-day workshop at this place called Jirasi in California. And the title is How to Write Your Debut Novel Without an MFA. I don't have an MFA. So she was selecting seven people based on the first 50 pages of their manuscript. I had 50 pages. So she selected me. She taught us so much. It was so wonderful. But what really happened that changed everything, while we were sitting around, the executive director of the program came in and she gave us greetings. And she said, you only get here by invitation and we only invite artists. And for the first time, I said, oh, my God, I'm an artist. I never considered myself an artist. And once I did, it changed everything. And I got serious. Mm. I got serious about finishing that book. And so I applied for a month-long residency there. And I wrote 25,000 words, no, 22,000 words in a month. Some of them were good. And then I got another residency and worked on it some more. And then I hired editors because you should have people look at your work that are professionals, aside from the people who love you. Yes, definitely. You get outside of your amen corner. Right? Yep. So I hired an editor. She loved it. And I thought, mm. so I hired another one. She didn't love it so much. So I thought, okay, the truth is in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. So I was sending it out to agents and I was getting beautiful rejection letters. And then I saw this contest last year. And I remember entering it because I have friends who have published with She Writes Press and I knew it was reputable. And I remember entering the contest and saying, Robin, you need to check something. And then I said, eh, you're not going to win anyway. Send. And I won. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Goes to show you anything is possible. You never know. Yeah, you never know. What a great story. I'm glad that you sent that email at 2 a.m. way back when. <laughs> Because it's so hard to get to those people, right? Yeah. But I think you send it at two and they're a night owl like I'm a night owl. You never know. Yeah. Agreed. Just keep pushing. Keep pushing. Thank you so much, Robin. I enjoyed this very much. How should our listeners learn more about you and the book? So I have a website, Robin Farmer Writes, W-R-I-T-E-S. I couldn't just get Robin Farmer because a realtor in Tennessee had that. So it's RobinFarmerWrites.com. I'm on Twitter at so newsy, although I forget to tweet. And <laughs> my Instagram is Robin Farmer Writes. And I'm on Facebook, Robin Farmer. Wonderful. And they can sign up for my newsletter. Yes, sign up for the newsletter. Get the book, Malcolm and Me, out of She Writes Press. Thank you to She Writes Press for uh, reaching out to us so that we can make this interview happen today and share this book with you. Again, you have a chance to win Malcolm and Me directly from the show. You have to go to our website to register, and we are randomly picking a listener every week to win a book. So go do that now so you don't miss your opportunity 
community. As usual, we will link to all the places to get you more quickly to learn about Robin in our show notes. So go there for links and more information about how you can win. And thank you all for joining us. We create this show because of you, our listeners who continue to help us grow by sharing it with your friends and family. That's why we become a global show because you guys keep talking about it. So please keep talking about it. And while you're talking about it, make sure you pick up Malcolm and Me, available in all the places. But again, you have a chance to win a free copy from the show, so don't forget to register. Robin, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I appreciated your book so much. I can't wait to share with other people. And I love that you were able to get here today. So thank you. Thank you for loving Roberta. (laughs) My pleasure. All right, folks, you know the drill. If you haven't hit subscribe yet, I really don't know what you're waiting for. You need to get on that and keep telling your friends and family because that's how we grow the show. And we love you from the bottom of our hearts for doing that. Again, don't forget to check out Malcolm and me and Robin Farmer. Reading is a good thing. We should all read more books. So check it out. Until next time, we out. Thank you.